Okay, we are in Luke chapter 2. We're going through the life of Jesus as displayed in, in, in the Gospels, so the life of the Messiah. And we're going to pick it up in Luke chapter 2, verse 25. So the context here is Jesus was brought as a, as a young child. He was now 40 days old. They had just made the offering for, for, uh, um, for Mary, his mother. There was this, this sin offering and a burnt offering that a woman had to make 40 days after the birth of a, of a son. And then also there was the dedication of the firstborn male. And that's what, what was, uh, Jesus was being dedicated that day. So he was 40 days old at that time. And now we're in verse 25. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and he blessed God and he said, now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples. A light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and his mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end, that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Okay, so there was this man, Simeon, uh, who was an old man. And it says in verse 25, this man, Simeon, was in Jerusalem and he was righteous and he was devout. So that doesn't mean sinless. Righteous just means that, that, uh, um, that when he would sin, he would do what was required of him in the law to uh, get that made right. And uh, that's exactly where we are, that we do, we do what God has called us to, to get right with Him when we stumble. And then it says that He was devout, meaning that He Himself gave of Himself to the things of God. He was a devout person, a devout follower of God. He was one of the group of Israel that was devoted to serving Him. So there was a, a, a group within Israel that were deep believers and, and uh, seeking God, and this was one of them, and you can see that. So, Jesus had come, but this man had been looking, it says, for the consolation of Israel. In other words, he had been looking for the Messiah. It was his desire to, see, to live to see the Messiah, and God had promised him, it says, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, before he had seen the Messiah. So, he knew that the Messiah, he would not physically die before he saw the Messiah. This boy comes in and the Holy Spirit, this boy is in his parents' arms, remember he's only 40 days old, and he comes in and it is revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that there he is. You have seen him now. And so, uh, it says in verse 27, He came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law. So remember, Jesus fulfilled the entire Old Testament law of Moses. He fulfilled it all. And from this point, at, at, at the, he had just underwent the circumcision in verse 21, uh, and the eighth day, and on the fortieth day. Now he's undergoing the dedication for being the firstborn male. So he fulfilled it all. And so in verse 27, when he came in to do this, Simeon walks up 
and takes the boy into his arms and he blessed God. And and uh, uh, so he, he he gives he blessed God and he said, "Now, Lord, you are releasing your bond servant to depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel." So this man start, takes this boy in his arms and starts praising God. And interestingly, he has these, these two verse these two lines in, in verse thirty two. A light of revelation to the Gentiles. Remember, the Gentiles had no revealed word, word of God. Only the Jews had the revealed word of God. The Gentiles didn't. And now he says, this is going to be a light of revelation to the Gentiles. He's, he says, this is the opening. Now the word of God is coming to the Gentiles as well. This is very much like what, what uh, Zechariah had prophesied concerning, um, concerning Jesus and when he prophesied over Jesus and prophesied the coming of Jesus and his own son, John, in Luke chapter 1, he said, uh, to shine upon those who sit in the darkness of the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. In other words, to shine upon those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death. The Gentiles were sitting in darkness. He's saying those, and then he said, to guide our feet, meaning the Jewish people's feet in the way of peace. So you see, that was the, the prophecy of Zechariah six months earlier. Now, this is the proclamation by Simeon. He's saying something very similar. This is about to explode forth. I'll tell you that I have learned the vast majority of why, what I know about the Scriptures, not from Jews, but from Gentiles. Though I was born a Jew, raised a Jew, I learned the vast majority of what I know from Scriptures from Gentiles. A revelation came. There was a light of revelation to the Gentiles that just opened up the Word of God to the Gentiles. And this was the beginning of it. And Simeon is proclaiming this. Now, the revelation is going to come to the Gentiles. This is going to be much broader than just the Jewish nation now. This is what he's saying. But he says, and the glory of your people Israel. In other words, this child is going to be the glory of the people of Israel to those who would receive him. And it says, and, the mother, and his father and his mother were amazed at the things which were being said. And Simeon blessed them. So, so, you know, they're listening to this prophecy going on as they bring this child into the temple. Already at his birth, the, the shepherds had come and made proclamation. So they, they had already seen the shepherds. And now this is happening. They had been visited by Gabriel before the baby was even conceived. Mary was visited. Uh, after the baby was conceived, uh, Joseph was visited by Gabriel. And so you see all of this is, is happening and they're standing amazed. What is going on here with this boy? And then Simeon blessed them. So Simeon then extends a blessing to the parents, and then he focuses in on Mary, and this is what he says in verse 34. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul, to the end that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So Simeon is pointing out some of the things that are going to happen with this child. Now, now I'll, I'll, I'll reveal something to you that goes through my mind whenever I see parents with a newborn baby. And that is that I see their joy and I'm excited for them and everything. And I look at this child and I think, you know, this child is so loved and they cherish this child and they hold this child. There is going to come a point where this child is going to cause real pain in the parents' lives. 
This always happens. And this is what goes through my mind. You say, well, what? that's kind of a sick thought to think about. <laughs> I don't know, but this, this just happens in my life because anybody who has been a parent, who has had a child grow up, there are times where there's just such wrenching of, of your heart because you see them make decisions. If your child were to stay young and never go through adolescence, it's like you hold this little baby and think, I could never let them go. I love this child so much. And God uses adolescence. To, to allow this separation to occur, both from the child's perspective and the parent's perspective. That, that by 18, you're ready. <laughs> it's not so bad. You know? I kind of look forward to your leaving now. You know, that, that, that this happens. And, and you know, this is really of God. If there had not been adolescence, if there had not been this experience, parents would not want to let this child go. Because you feel like you, you, you want to do everything for this child. But then what also happens is, Children make decisions that are heart-wrenching for parents. So part of what's said here, any parent will experience, that when you have a child, you love this child, and the child is so sweet and so lovable and everything. Well, you know, times change, and things change in people's lives. And this is not a bad thing. It is a normal thing that happens. And, and as, as, as children are growing up and they're making decisions, and, and sometimes I look at the decisions my own children make, and I know that this is going to pain them. And it hurts, but I have to begin to release. So as a parent, I have to do this. Do you know what I'm talking about, parents? Has this ever happened to you? Yeah. I mean, so this, this, is, this is what parents go through. So he's mentioning some of this, but for her it's going to be particularly strong, because he says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. The thing that Jesus does when he comes into a life is he, he reveals the, the heart. It says that the word of God is living and active and sharper than, than any two-edged sword. And it, it's able to, to pierce between the, the joint and the marrow and able to reveal the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's in Hebrews 4.12. It's able to reveal the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This Word of God opens up and it exposes our heart. And this is one of the reasons why we have to read this Word. Because it reveals to us our thoughts and our intentions of our heart. It reveals this to us. So that we're reading, we go, oh yeah, wow. Now I see my heart. I see the intentions of my heart are wicked. And it reveals to us the thoughts and intentions of our heart. That God exposes to us our own hearts through this Word. But it also says that Jesus is going to be there for the fall and rise of many in Israel. So, there, were, there, was a, there were a group of Jews that accepted Jesus as the Messiah. Particularly those who had been baptized by John the Baptist, preparing the way of the Lord. When Jesus was revealed as the Messiah, they readily received Him. And John prepared the way. For those that would refuse to get the baptism of John, they were not very receptive to Jesus. This division point was the fall and rise of many in Israel. Now there was a man that once said, once said, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth, for I did not come to bring peace but a sword. Who said that? Jesus said that. Once I asked a guy who said that, and this guy had grown up in the church all his life, he says, uh, uh, must be Osama bin Laden. <laughs> you know, because it, it sounds something like, like, like 
like what that man would say. You don't normally characterize Jesus with these kind of words. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Who would say such a thing? So, so let's, let's look at that in Matthew chapter, tw- chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Let's look at these words that Jesus spoke, because this is the prophecy that, that Simeon gave, that Jesus was going to be assigned to be opposed, and he would be there for the rise and fall of many in Israel. So look what he says in in verse 32 of Matthew chapter 10. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. You know, you think about this. I remember when I first came to the Lord, I read this book. uh, 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 What was it? Gates of Splendor? Through Gates of Splendor, this was that it, the, the one with these missionaries the, with, to the Alka Indians? Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, yeah, Elizabeth Elliot this, and, and her husband who was killed. And, you, you know, you, I couldn't understand when I first became a believer, what is the big deal about denying Jesus? If, you know, if you're going to get killed, you just, well, you know, I'm just a joke, I'm not a Christian. Then you go away and you say, it's this. Because Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father who is in heaven. It is this verse. So, you stand there and Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. This is one of the reasons it is good to share Jesus Christ. Because if we confess Him, He will confess us to His Father who is in heaven. If we deny Him, He will also deny us before His Father who is in heaven. This sounds kind of hard. I didn't say this. Jesus did. Jesus said that he would deny us if we denied his name before men. He would deny us before our Father who is in heaven. Jesus said, if you are ashamed of me and my words in this sinful and perverse generation, I will be ashamed of you when I come in the glory of my Father and his holy angels. That's in, in, uh, in Mark chapter 8. So, these are, these are really strong words. Now let's go on and, and, and see the other things that Jesus said. Verse 34 of Matthew chapter 10. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. These are really divisive sort of words. Either you do this or you do this. That's it. Jesus was for the fall and rise of many in in, in Israel. That was the prophecy. And you look at his words. This guy didn't mess around. No human being could say such a thing. Only God has a right to say such a thing. And this is what he says. He says, I didn't come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. Let me tell you what the sword is. I'm going to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. I thought you came to unite the hearts of fathers to their children, and children to their fathers. In one sense, he did. 
But in another sense, he says, you know, this is going to cause division in families. So when people say, well, you know, should this person really openly say that they're Christian because their families might deny them? I said, absolutely, they must openly say that they follow Jesus Christ. Based upon this verse, they must openly do it. Because we choose Jesus over family. We choose Jesus over relationship with mother and father. You will find many times mothers and fathers will want to hold their child back from getting involved with Jesus. This may be among Jews, it may be among Muslims, but it can also be among Christians. And I've seen it. You say, well, why Christians? It's because I think the largest barrier to missions, to Christian missions, is not Satan. The largest barrier to Christian missions is Christian parents. Because they love their children more than they love Jesus Christ. I don't want you to go in harm's way. Well, where is harm's way? You want to drive on the Houston highways? I mean, there's a good chance you're going to die on the Houston highway. What are you going to do? So you're never going to let them leave the home? You allow your children, we are to allow our children to go wherever God wants them to go. If you love your son or daughter more than me, Jesus said, you are not worthy of me. How's that for a pretty divisive word? You want a decision? If you love your son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of me. If you love your mother or father more than me, you're not worthy of me. Jesus immediately sets us with the right priorities. That He comes first. That His kingdom comes first. And I am a big believer in family. Very strong believer. And I honor my mother and father. Every Sunday, we speak by phone. My, I speak by phone to my mother and father. And I don't go against what they what they don't want me to do. But when it comes to the decision to follow Christ, that, that comes first. That comes first. The decision to follow Christ comes first. Comes first over family. And, and this, is, this is what we're called to. And Jesus said that when it comes to following Him, He comes first. This is what he, He's told us to do. And then He says, A man's enemies will be the members of his household. This is going to cause division in families. Jesus is okay with that. He said it's going to happen. This is going to cause division in families. Young people sometimes say, I need to go on the mission field. I need to do this. And parents will be saying, no, no, don't go. We want want to see our grandchildren. You know what it is? I think it's selfishness on the parents' part. Because they want to be able to see their grandkids and play with them whenever they want. This is selfishness. You let your child go, and I've seen what happens is the parents who hold their kids back from the mission field, the kids never burst forth in walking with God like they should have been. They would have been much better being let go to serve God. Jesus calls us to this. This is for the fall and rise of many in Israel. Jesus is going to cause the fall and rise of many, even within Christian families. Because will we really get excited about Him? Sometimes parents get get upset that their kids, Christian parents, get too excited about the Lord. Well, you, you, know, you, you don't have to do that. Just, just settle down. You, you can go to church every Sunday, but you know, don't overdo it. I mean, don't overdo it. Jesus is calling us to something really profound. And as believers, we need to pick up and walk with Jesus. What He calls us to is really a strong word. And then, then he goes on. He said, 
And he who loves mother or father more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. In other words, there are pains that come in life because we're believers. It affects careers. You won't be the first person that your career might be affected if you walk with Jesus. I mean, this happens in the university. It happens in the academy. Now, the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the entire earth to strongly support those whose heart is completely His. That's His blessing to us. Now, the world might try to hold you back because they feel that, you, you know, you're, you kind of wear your Christianity on your shirt sleeve. Well, what does that mean? I mean, hopefully it's, it's not just on my sleeve. Hopefully it's around my neck. Hopefully it's a hat on my head. You know, to let people know that I'm a believer is not a bad thing. And then he says this really interesting verse in verse verse, uh, 39. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. If you turn to Mark, there's there's a complementary verse in Mark chapter 8. Jesus said the same thing in a different situation, a little bit differently, he said it this time. In Mark chapter 8, verse 34, he summoned the crowd with his disciples. So this wasn't just the twelve. He summoned the entire crowd. The entire crowd, and he says this to them. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the sake of the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels." It says, the Son of Man, Jesus will be ashamed of us if we've been ashamed of Him. What does that mean? It means when He comes, when Jesus comes again in the glory of His Father, with all the angels around, and He comes up to the one who has been ashamed of Him, He comes up to Him and He says, uh, No, Father, you don't want to meet this one. Let's just move over here. This is what it says. He will be ashamed of us if we've been ashamed of Him. Well, maybe he really didn't mean what he said. No, he really meant what he said. He's not wasting words here. Again, a human being cannot say something so profound. But God has every right to do this. I have no right to say such a thing. I'm only quoting him. He said it. Jesus will be ashamed of us if we're ashamed of him. And then he says... For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. If you're a believer, there are things in your life that you have to give up, that you have to sacrifice in order to serve Jesus. He says, if you desire to save your life, you will lose it. I know a guy who... Every time he wants something, it's all around getting that for himself. Lots of motorcycles, scuba diving, all weekends are you know, just to serve his flesh. 
And you know, as I've watched this guy over a period of many years, you'd think, okay, he, he, got, he got another motorcycle, so now he'll be happy. And he got yet another one, so now he'll be really happy. And he goes scuba diving and all this stuff that he wants to do for himself whenever he wants, so now he'll be really happy. No, he's miserable. He's absolutely miserable. He can never get enough. And then I look at other people who devote themselves for the service of the gospel. To them it's important that, no, Sundays I'm going to be in church. I'm going to worship with the body of Christ. This is important to me. I could go fishing. I could do lots of other things. But no, I want to serve the Lord. And you know what happens? It is those people that give of themselves that are really fulfilled and content. You would think that the people who do all the stuff to fill what they want to do would be the happy and content ones, but they're not. And then the ones that are giving of themselves for other people, the ones that pour out themselves for other people, are the ones who are happy and content. You say, well, how, how could that be? They're, they're dumping themselves out. There's, there's never quite enough for them. But no, because God is the one who fills the human heart. This is what Jesus said. If you try to find your life, if you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give your life for my sake and the sake of the gospel, you will find it. You give your life for, for me, you're going to find it. That's why Mother Teresa was never on the psychiatrist's couch saying, I, I just, just never get enough for me. When is it my time? When am I going to get? No, she was never like that. Just, even in her old age, just constantly giving out. Constantly giving out. Constantly giving of herself to other people. And the woman was so fulfilled. A life poured out is filled. A life kept to itself is empty. This is what Jesus is saying. You give your life for Him and for the sake of the gospel. This is what it says. If you give your life for my sake and the gospels, you give your life for service to the Word of God, you will save your life. You will have it. You will save your family. You want to have a family where there's a mother and a father and you, you, don't, you, you have kids that love you and you love them and there's peace in your home? You give your life to others. You give your life just more than beyond just your children. You give it to others. You give of your life for others, for the community of the body of Christ, for outreach, for missions, for different things. You serve in these capacities. I think the greatest thing that you can do as parents is take your kids on mission trips. I didn't know this. I would have done more of that had I, had, had I known what I know now. You do this and you pour out your life because it's in those settings. I used to go into the prisons and, I, and, and on Christmas and Easter I could bring my kids with me and we'd go into this big hall and the men would come in and I'd have my kids take the plates and learn to walk the plates to the men and give it to them. Because I wanted them to experience this. It's in giving, in giving out of yourself that you get. Jesus came for the fall and rise of many in Israel. He's the fall and rise of many people still today. If we try to save our life, and I know guys that do this, Come Friday at 5 o'clock, everything is about them. Until Monday morning at 8 o'clock. The whole thing is about serving themselves. They're going to be out on their boats and out. Everything is about them. There's nothing for anybody but themselves. And they're empty, empty, empty. Jesus said, you give of your life. You pour it out and you will be filled. He's for the fall and rise of many in Israel. Okay, let's turn back to, uh, to Luke chapter 2.
Luke chapter 2, and we'll finish up with Anna in Luke chapter 2, verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, serving night and day with fasting and prayers. And at that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of Him to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Israel. Okay, so in this temple now, there's also this old woman. And this old woman, it says that she was a prophetess. So she was a woman who was a prophet. Her name was Anna. The Old Testament rendering of this would be Hannah, like Hannah the mother of Samuel. Her name was Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. Okay, so she is of the tribe of Asher. She knows who she is. She knows what tribe she's from. Some people think that only the tribe of, uh, 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 of, of Judah and Benjamin and some of the Levites, they were taken by Nebuchadnezzar to Babylon. And then the only ones that returned were from those tribes, that the other ten tribes were lost. And they talk about the ten lost tribes of Israel. There's no reference to the ten lost tribes of Israel in the Bible. That is totally a human construct. You will often find people that will say that they are from one of the ten lost tribes. And usually they have some ulterior motive here to set themselves as being kind of special. There's nothing special that you get in the flesh by being a Jew or being of these ten lost tribes. But they they try to set up something because Jesus said that what we are in the spirit far supersedes what we are in the flesh because he said of John the Baptist, there's been no greater man ever born of woman than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So what we are in the spirit supersedes whatever anyone is in the flesh. But there was a decree that was given by Cyrus and then underscored again by Darius and it said not just those people could go back, but the decree was all the lands could go back. So many Jews from many of the tribes came back to Jerusalem at the rebuilding of the temple. Uh, and and uh, So many of the tribes came back. And you say, well, because it's clear here. Here is a woman living in the first century in Israel from the tribe of Asher. Does she look lost? No, she knows who she is. She knows who her father is. She knows what tribe she's from. Those people who say that they are of the ten lost tribes are half right. They're lost. But there's nothing of this lost tribes part. Here's a woman from Asher. She's from one of those ten that were taken by the Assyrians. But it was well known that she was fine. She was of the tribe of Asher. It says she was advanced in years. She lived with her husband seven years after marriage. So women usually got married around 14. So she lived to about 21 with her husband. Then he died. And it says, and then a widow to the age of 84. In fact, there's other renderings of this. This could also be interpreted that she was 84, 84 years without her husband, plus the 21 or so. So she could have well been over 100. So in either case, she's either 84 or she's over 100, depending on, on, on how this could be translated. But she's an old woman, but she's a prophetess. And so it says that, that, uh, uh, that she never left the temple, serving night and day with fasting and prayers. I mean, this is a devoted woman. And at that very moment, she came up and she started giving thanks to God and continued to speak of Him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Israel. 
So she spoke specifically to a particular group of people, not to everyone coming into the temple, but to those among the Jewish believers, the believing remnant of that day, that were looking for the redemption of Israel. To them she spoke this word. There were believing Jews, and there were Jews that were not believing. She spoke to the believing remnant, as Simeon was among the believing remnant. There were those who were really looking for the Messiah. There were many of those who were looking for the Messiah. Many came. There were crowds had come to John the Baptist and believed. And in fact, there were over 100,000 Jews in Jerusalem at the attack uh, uh, by by, um, Rome on the Second Temple. And all of those 100,000 were able to escape. Rome pulled back the attack. They attacked in 68 AD. In 69 AD, they pulled back and those who were the believing remnant remembered the words of Jesus that said, when you see the armies surrounding, you go and you flee. And so the 100,000 Messianic Jews, those that believed in Jesus, left at that time, they crossed the river and they went to uh, 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 Para, across the river, and then the siege came back from the Romans and they wiped out everyone in that temple, everyone in, in Jerusalem. And that was what had been prophesied by Jesus, that 70 AD... Uh, occurrence that, that everyone would be killed at that time. And that's exactly what happened. But those, that believing remnant, were not taken in, in that because of the words that Jesus had spoken. Okay? Well, let's, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word. Father, thank You that what You have called us to Lord, Your words have called us to a place of division. That if we try to hold on to our lives, we're going to lose it. And Father, I pray that You would speak to these young hearts here today. That they would devote their lives to serving You. Even if they have normal careers, Father, that there would be an aspect of service in their lives. Of reaching out to others, of giving for others, of living in the body of Christ. Father, not to pull back and think that they they can only be happy if they serve themselves. Father, I pray that You'd call them to this place of picking up their cross and following You. Father, I pray for these young people who have heard this message today, burn this upon their hearts, that they will be so filled that their lives will be saved to the extent that they're willing to give their lives for You and for the sake of the Gospel. Father, draw them close to Your Son, I pray. Father, have mercy on them. And Lord, I commit them to You, and, and particularly those who've graduated from just, just this year. Father, I pray as they go into careers and jobs, protect them. Father, protect them and draw them close to You. And may their lives be dedicated to You. And Father, I thank You in the name of Jesus. Amen.